Yeah, we're in week number two of uh, our Advent series. Message number two, yeah. Sure. The tickets for the benefit concert you can buy right here at the office or at the door the evening of. Yeah. Sure. Good. Well, I love, I love hero stories. Anybody else love hero stories? Right? Um, I, uh, our family has always been fans of like big epic movies. Superhero stories, um, King Arthur stories, Robin Hood stories, Lord of the Rings, you know, the, those big epic hero stories. And I think in, in some ways, I feel like every hero story is a little shadow of the story of our true hero, right? It's a little, little reflection, a little shadow of the story of Jesus, our one true hero. One of the things about a hero story well told is, uh, is a really good or origin story, right? What, what made them a hero? What brought them to this place in their life where they are pitted against difficulty and evil and and, and they, ha they have the courage to stand up and, and defeat the darkness and, and bring hope, right? What, what was the origin of this hero? And, and in some ways, I would say, as, we, as we're walking through the four Gospels over these weeks, we're, we're zeroing in on their version of the origin story of Jesus, Right? The origin story of Jesus. If you remember, uh, last week we said that, uh, you know, the, the, the Gospels, the four Gospels are kind of like four observers of an event, standing from four different perspectives, four different corners, if you will, and, and seeing that event and describing what they saw from their vantage point, from their perspective, from you know, whenever we, we view something or interpret something that we see, we don't just, in, we, you know, we bring to that event our experience, our world, our way of looking at the world. And, and that's what each of these gospel writers bring to the situation, bring to the life of Jesus as they describe who he is. And so we have, uh, you know, we talked last week about Matthew, who describes Jesus as the king of the Jews and the king of the world. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about Mark, who sees Jesus as the servant of all, the servant of the world. Uh, next week, we're going to look at Luke, who sees Jesus as the son of man, and then the last week on Christmas Eve, we're going to look at John, who sees Jesus as the Son of God. And each of these perspectives bring to the description of Jesus' origin a different way of looking at it. Um, they're, they're, 
their approach to talking about Jesus' arrival on the scene is very much affected by their unique message about who Jesus is. And so last week, again, as we talked about Matthew, Matthew saw Jesus as the rightful Davidic, in other words, in the line of David, the rightful Davidic king of the Jewish nation who had come to bring the kingdom of heaven to, to all, right? To all the people of the earth. And so Matthew talks about Jesus' lineage, his lineage from, from Abraham through David and on to, to Joseph, his adopted father. Um, he talks about Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, the city or the town of David. He talks about wise teachers coming from far away, uh, seeking a king whose birth they saw written in the stars. Right? What a, what a kingly welcome into this world. Mark, in stark contrast, who wants us to see Jesus as the servant of all, has no nativity story. At least not in the sense that we're looking for. There's no angels singing. There's no birth in a, in a barn. There's no, there's no um, wise men coming from, from far. There's no shepherds. You know, those things that we look for in, a, in the nativity story, um, we don't find in Mark's gospel. A servant's background is not important. What he does is what's important. And so Mark leaves us in the dark in some ways about Jesus' birth story. But the first things we see happening in the, you know, breaking into this story about, about Jesus, the beginning of Mark's gospel. The first things we see are the announcement of Jesus and his ministry by John the Baptist. We see Jesus' baptism at the hands of John. And then within a, just a few verses, Mark gets right down into the, you know, the actions of Jesus, what he came to do, very quickly moves into what Jesus came, the, you know, the business he came to do. In the first chapter of Mark's gospel, we already see Jesus preaching, driving out demons, and healing all kinds of people. Mark wastes no time showing <clears throat> the things that Jesus did, and we'll, we'll come back to this, but but first, let's, let's back things up a little bit. Although there's no nativity story and no mention of Jesus as a baby, there, there is an origin story of sorts that we might miss if we're not careful. The very first sentence of Mark's gospel says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, 
the Son of God. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, Son of God. There is a lot packed into this verse, into this one sentence. And one of the things we need to make sure that we, we don't skip over too quickly, too easily, is this word, good news. Of course, in, you know, we've, in English, we've, we've uh, over, the, over the centuries, we, we, you know, back when English was almost a different language, Middle English, there's this word, gospel, Godspell, which means good news in Old English, became gospel. But this word that we, that we find here is the word in the Greek, it's euangelion, E-U-A-N-G-E-L-I-O-N, euangelion. You means good in Greek. And there's another little word you might almost recognize in there. It's angel. You see angel in there? You angelion. Right? In Greek, angel is a messenger who brings a message. And so the, this word literally means you, good, angelion, message, a good message. gospel. Evangel comes right from that word. Our church is a good news church, right? At least I hope it is. We're here to give the good news, right? Evangel is the, is the gospel. It's the good news, yeah. So that euangelion is a good news message. But let's dig a little deeper. From the time of Alexander the Great, I love talking about history, um, you guys know it. From the time of Alexander the Great, 300 years before Christ, rulers and leaders would, would write and have written these euangelions, these good news messages that they would have written about their rule and the good things that they had accomplished for their kingdom and for their empire. And they would have these sent out as uh, propaganda statements to, to make them look like a really good emperor and a really good king. And they would have these sent out to their, to their subjects on a fairly regular basis. Um, we actually have some of them, and, uh, and one of them is really significant for us today, because it's the, the euangelion of Augustus, who was the emperor when Jesus was born, right? Emperor Augustus, Caesar Augustus, and, uh, and so... Uh, the Euangelion, the good message report of Augustus, was sent throughout the empire in 9 BC. And the reason it was sent out in that particular moment was uh, 
the emperor wanted New Year's Day to be moved to his birthday. Because he's just that important. Let's, move, let's put the whole world and the whole universe around me, because I'm that good, right? And, and so they, he wanted to move New Year's Day to September 23rd, the birthday of Augustus. That's the occasion of the writing of this. And we actually have, not only was it sent out on paper to the empire, but we actually have places where this message was inscribed in stone on a, in at least three different cities. We have the Evangelion of Augustus. Okay? So we're going to read it. Since providence, which has ordered all things of our life and is very much interested in our life, has ordered things in sending Augustus, whom she filled with virtue for the benefit of men, sending him as a savior, both for us and for those after us, him who would end war and order all things. And since Caesar, by his appearance, surpassed the hopes of all those who received the good tidings, the euangelion, okay, not only those who were benefactors before him, but even the hope among those who will be left afterward, and the birthday of the God was for the world the beginning of the euangelion, the good tidings, through him. And Asia resolved it in Smyrna. So we don't need to understand this whole thing, but isn't it interesting, some of the language that we find here, right? Caesar was considered the son of the gods, the son of God. He was the God that it speaks of here. The birth, the coming of the God, that's Caesar that it's talking about, right? So he was filled with virtue for the benefit of man, sending him as a savior, a soter, both for us and for those after us, him who would end war and order all things. What a, what a huge you know, claim. Those who receive the, the euangelion, the, the gospel, the good tidings, the good news. Not only those who are benefactors before him, but even the hope among those who will be left afterward. And the birthday of the God was for the world the beginning of the good tidings through him. Really interesting. Pardon? Uh, she is providence. It's kind of providence was a was a Greek goddess. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, so when Mark makes the statement, it's almost certain that Mark was aware of this proclamation, right? And that when he wrote this sentence that he wrote, um, and starting his gospel the way that he did, he was intentionally contrasting Jesus with Augustus. And if you add to that, that two of the Caesar's titles are anointed one, 
Messiah, and Son of God, this first verse of Mark's gospel is one of the most um, subversive, rebellious, seditious statements in, in, in the ancient Roman Empire. He was saying Jesus is a greater emperor, a greater savior who gives who brings a greater peace and this is his euangelion. This is the good news about who he is. Right? And so for Mark, who is Jesus? Well, He's the true emperor, for one thing, right? That what we just read, Mark is saying, Augustus had nothing on Jesus. I mean, Augustus is dead by the time Mark is writing this, but there's, there's another Caesar, right? And the, the Caesar has nothing on Jesus. Jesus is the true emperor. But he's a different kind of emperor, First of all, as we said, we, we see that Mark is more concerned with what Jesus does than where he came from. And this, what he does, is the true evidence of who he is. And so in Mark's gospel, we see Jesus right away in chapter 1 confronting the powers of darkness. Emperors commanded people but Jesus commanded sickness and it was gone. Jesus spoke to powerful demonic spiritual beings and they had to flee. No one wielded this kind of power, right? It's what Mark is telling us. This emperor is different. And secondly, this emperor is a servant. He's not looking to change you know, to, to make himself the most important, he's looking to lift others up. Wow. He became king so that he could come and serve. That's a different kind of emperor, right? In Mark 8, verses 23, 27 to 33, we have a, a, something that happens here that, that we, often, we often don't read Mark's version of this. We often read Peter's, but, but Mark wrote this about this interaction as well. Mark 8, 27. Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Right? You are the anointed one. You are the king. You are the emperor. You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not 
to tell anyone about him. This is actually a theme through much of Mark's gospel. He keeps, every time he heals somebody, he says, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. It's, it's, a, it's, the, the, it's the, a secretive thing that, that, uh, that's talked about in, in Mark. Don't tell anyone. So here again, because Jesus doesn't want an uprising to, 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 to short-circuit the, the perfect timing of God in when Jesus presents himself to the world, right? Don't tell anyone. He then began to teach them, verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Right? Interesting what's happening here is that Jesus... Peter says, you're the Messiah, you're the anointed one. And Jesus says, well, yeah, but I'm a different kind of Messiah. I'm a different kind of emperor. I have to suffer. I have to die. And I'm going to rise again, right? And Peter can't take it. Like, no way, Jesus. Like, Messiahs don't die. That's not what Messiahs do. Emperors don't die. They, they, they want to live and make their empire great. And we're going to sit at your, you know, your right and your left. And we're going we're gonna to be really important too. You can't die. But from this point forward in Mark's gospel, everything starts to change. We've been seeing, you know, glimpses of Jesus' glory and power and all this stuff. And then from this point forward in Mark's gospel... We start to turn our attention to the suffering of Jesus. And he's three times he predicts to his disciples, I no, listen to me, I have to suffer and die. And then a, a third, a full third of Mark's gospel is focused in on the suffering and the death of Jesus. And when James and John in chapter 10, come to Jesus and say, Jesus, no, we know what you're saying, but, but really, when you come into your power, let us sit on the right and the left, right? And then this big fight breaks out between all the disciples. Who's, who's more important and who's going to actually sit on Jesus' right and left? And Jesus says to them, probably what has stood out as the key verse in Mark's gospel for understanding who Jesus is. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But what Mark is saying to us is not just that Jesus is a servant. He is the servant. It's going to get a whole lot more crazy in just a moment. He's the servant. What servant? What servant are we talking about? Well, there's a whole section of prophecy in the book of Isaiah that is called the Song of the Suffering Servant. 
And as Mark wrote his gospel, he had Isaiah in his mind. Jesus didn't just come as a servant. He came as the servant of Isaiah. We're going to take a quick cruise through. We're not going to read all of it, but we're going to, we're going to drop down in four different places in, in the, the song of the suffering servant in Isaiah. And I think it's going to be uh, pretty amazing to, to watch. So let's, let's walk through this. Yeah, Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Here we go. Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Remember, this was written 700 years before Christ. Okay, It's a, it's a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Here is my servant whom I uphold. My chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings the islands will put their hope. Isaiah 49, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Isaiah 50. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I set my face like flint and I will not be put to shame. And Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all.
That lineup of prophecies are just amazing. Jesus' true role really was not clear to his disciples, even though they had walked with him day and night for three years. And sitting where we do now, right? We Rearview Mirrors 2020, we can see really well what was going on. But, and, and we might say, how did they miss it? I mean, there's the story of Jesus right there. In Isaiah's song of the suffering servant, it's right there. Jesus coming to die for the sins of the world, to save us by the love and the grace of God, had been God's plan from before the beginning of time. It was foretold centuries before Jesus was born, and now he has come, Mark says. He's come. The Savior has come. The servant has come. He's come to do the things that he said he would do. He came to suffer for us. That our sins would be put on him. And the world might find hope and salvation. As we've said, in Mark's gospel, Jesus is a man of action. In some in other gospels, he might seem a little more like a philosopher, you know, and he's talking um, great, you know, powerful and important ideas. But in Mark's gospel, Jesus is a man of action. Mark was a Roman, writing to Romans, and that's exactly what would appeal to a Roman. A man of action gets things done. And in fact, Mark, as he writes the story of what Jesus does, he keeps things moving throughout the gospel at a very quick pace. One of the, one of the important, most important words in the gospel of Mark is a little word, immediately. In just 16 chapters of Mark, the word immediately is there 39 times. 39 times in 16 chapters. And, and so Mark is saying, immediately this happened, and immediately this happened, and he's a, he's a master storyteller keeping us on the edge of our seat as situation after situation, Jesus steps in and brings life and hope and, and breakthrough into someone's life. Every one of those immediately's is a life that was heading in one direction and Jesus enters the scene and that life is suddenly lived totally differently. Right? God has been at work the whole time, but when the situation was at its worst, And at just the right Kairos moment, Jesus steps in and everything changes. Folks, we serve the God of the immediatelys and the suddenlys, don't we? We do. You may have been praying for breakthrough for a situation in your life and wondering, God, where are you? You know, how come it isn't done yet? 
I, you know, I would have done it three, three months ago. What, God, what are you doing? What are you waiting for? Right? And, and sometimes we get frustrated and impatient. But if we brought the breakthrough in our timing, it may not, have, may not be a thorough breakthrough. It may not be the, the level of breakthrough that God wants to bring. It may not have the ripple effect on so many other lives that God is also dealing with and bringing about hope and life in their lives as well. And so I want to say to you this morning, that Jesus is a man of action. He is at work. He is on the scene. He is doing what you don't see. And I want to encourage you this morning, keep praying, keep trusting, keep reminding yourself of God's perfect timing, that he knows what he's doing, and he has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten the situation. The, the gospel of Jesus is a gospel of breakthrough. It's a gospel of action. It's a gospel, it's a good news that, that we serve a king who is a servant. And he didn't die on the cross so that you could just have your sins forgiven and then he's going to drop you on your head, right? Like he has a plan. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't just want to get you into heaven. He wants your whole life transformed. So trust him. The gospel of Jesus is a gospel of action and we are meant to be people who are changed by the gospel. It has to actually make a difference or it's just fluff. Right? Like if it doesn't actually change our lives, what's the point? But Mark is telling us it does change your life. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to change your life. Maybe some of us have lost sight of the power of the gospel at work in our lives. I think it was, it's, a, it's a great story of Jesus forgiving my sins. And I, yeah, I believed the gospel back there 20 years ago, but, but it, you know, it doesn't really affect me now, does it? The gospel is changing our lives every day, folks. It is a gospel of transformation. It is a gospel of God at work. It is a gospel of Jesus and, and, the, and, the, and the kingdom of heaven coming to bear on the lives of broken, lost people. And that we are changed by the gospel and we live differently because of it. And we are meant, through the gospel, to change the world around us. We are gospel people. Evangel. We are gospel people carrying the good news. And so Jesus has come as a true as the true emperor. He came to confront the powers of darkness. Remember that verse we read at the beginning of the of the service? Son of God has appeared 
to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, I can't remember the exact verse, but the Son of God has appeared to destroy the works of the devil. He's come to confront the powers of darkness. He is about action, not just ideas. That means that Jesus doesn't just give us, you know, a new way of looking at the world. He actually wants our life changed. But it also means for us that believing the gospel is not just about put, giving mental agreement to some idea. It's about actually jumping in with our whole life. It's a whole life thing, the gospel, not just a head thing. Maybe sometimes we, we believe the gospel up here in our heads and wonder why it doesn't seem to be changing anything. But it's because we're meant to jump in to the gospel, to walk it, to live it, to receive it, to make it the one story that reorients our whole life, right? And Jesus is a different kind of emperor. He came to be the servant who would save humanity from sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand, please. We're going to, I'll have you sit down again in a minute as we get ready to take communion, but I, and uh, I'd like to, I'd like us to pray together first. Some takeaways for today. Jesus calls for our allegiance over any competition. He's the emperor, right? His kingdom is not about accumulating earthly things, but about serving others. Jesus' sacrifice was planned from the very beginning. And Jesus' love changes you so that you can impact the lives of others. I think these are some good takeaways from today. So Father, we come to you today, standing in your presence. We thank you for the gospel, the good news that Mark shares with us. We thank you for the story of Jesus coming. Thank you that Jesus is not like, he's not a tyrant. He's not like any other king in history. But that Jesus came to be a king who's, who came to serve, who came to transform our lives, who came to lay down his life that we might live. 
Thank you for the hope that we have because of all that Jesus has done. God, those of us today standing in this place, first of all, those of us for whom the gospel maybe has been mostly a head thing in our lives. I pray that today would be a moment of decision. Moment of realizing that maybe the gospel hasn't done its work in me because I haven't jumped in all the way. I've been, I've been keeping this as just something I, I believe in my head, but I've not thrown myself into Jesus. God, I pray that today there would be decisions made to say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in to the gospel. God, I pray for those who have been praying for breakthrough believing for breakthrough in their lives. I pray your strength, your encouragement. There have been moments of disappointment, moments of why hasn't God come through yet? Why has the situation not turned around yet? God, I believe that today is a, is a day when we're reminded and encouraged to trust you. To know that you are at work, you are on the job, you are bringing hope and life to those situations. I pray that we would have the courage and the faith to trust you with the timing as we wait for the breakthrough. That God, each one of us would have our immediately, our suddenly, our moment of breakthrough. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. Give us strength to be, to be faithful as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Not you guys, just them. <laughs> Um, as, as we prepare to hand out the elements for communion, uh, just a couple reminders. Maybe if you're new here with us for the first time, I want to say that, that uh, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you believe in him as your Savior and Lord, uh, it doesn't matter what church background you have, you are welcome at the table with us today. Um, we have... Uh, the, the elements are in such a way that there are two cups, one inside the other. The bottom cup has the, a wafer in it. The top cup has the juice. So take them both and just hold on to them until we all have received them and we'll take them together in a few moments. I want to say also if you're in the room and you're at the place where you're just, you're on a, you're on a journey towards faith, but maybe you've not crossed that line of, trusting in Christ, believing in Christ. I want to say that, that we welcome you. We're glad you're here. It's okay 
that you're on a journey. And if you're not ready to declare Jesus as Savior and Lord, it's okay to just pass the, the, the tray by um, and say, I'm, I'm not there yet. But I would encourage you, what better day than today to say yes to Jesus? We'd love to help you do that. All right. Worship along with us as we uh, receive the elements. Son cannot compare to the glory of your love. There is no shadow in your presence. No more to man would dare to stand before your throne. Before the Holy One of heaven. I 
love Advent communion this moment right here loving because one of the reasons why Jesus gave us bread juice cup to remember him one of the reasons why the church has done this for 2,000 years is the the tangibility of this the earthiness, the, the, the materialness of this. That our faith is not, again, just a nice idea. That God's hope for humanity was not, you know, an education plan or, or, or some philosophy, but that God took on flesh. the immaterial God entered into Adam's and took on material. Entered into our universe. Entered into our space. Became flesh. Because flesh needed salvation. And as we take the elements of communion, we are reminding ourselves that God became one of us. He didn't come as a, you know, a, a, a spirit that looked like us. He didn't come as a, you know, didn't, didn't send a video message. Not saved through Zoom or FaceTime, but he came. He came. Not only did he become one of us, but he he became a servant. Philippians chapter two. Verse 5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus, we thank you 
that you became flesh, that you became one of us. You entered into our world. Thank you that as you hung on that cross in physical human agony, that you took my sin on your body, my guilt, my brokenness, so that when you died there, the power of sin in my life died too. Thank you, Jesus, that you, you put on human flesh to save human flesh. we take the emblem of your broken body we give you thanks for your willing death in our place let's take the emblem of his broken body Jesus, as you hung there on that cross, as your blood drained from your body, you were in that act purchasing our freedom. We were not purchased, as your word says, from the empty way of life handed down to us from our forefathers with mere silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb sacrifice from the beginning of the world. Thank you for your blood spilt so that we might be free. Let's take the element of his shed blood. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand and just speak out our worship and praise to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, King who was a servant. Thank you, Lord. I bring an offering of worship to my King. No one on earth deserves the praises that lift your voice to Him this morning. Jesus made you receive the honor that you're due. 
have a good Savior. Amen. I want to encourage you to, it's not too late, invite somebody to come back with you tonight to our Christmas special. I want to encourage you to grab, uh, grab tags off the tree so you can bring back uh, some, some uh, stuff for our, for our drives. And uh, if you're in need of prayer this morning, we serve a powerful, miracle-working God. And I want to invite you to come and receive prayer. Uh, our team is going to come and make themselves available. If you'd like prayer for anything, we're here to see breakthrough happen for you. bring